Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We left off there last time. Genesis chapter 3. I asked Dina, and she obliged to put all of the teachings on freedom from internal bondage. I've been adding as we go along. This will be our fourth session. But I wanted you to have these scriptures, and I will say this. uh, We have an incredible audience outside of the walls of our worship center across the nation and uh, many places around the world now, and uh, people who are hungry for just the simple Word of God. And uh, we're grateful for that, and I'm grateful for your investment in the Word of God. Uh, All of us... have a lack of freedom somewhere. If you ever think that you've got, you got it all together and that you're walking in all of the truth, you just don't know enough of it yet. Because every one of us have ground to take. We have ways to go. And as long as you and I have skin on we're going to have to deal with our stuff. I say this all the time. If you are listening to someone, and many of you listen to people and preachers all over, everywhere, and that's well and good, but if you ever start listening to someone who who tells you that if you'll just do this, this, and this, you've got it all together, that you don't ever have any more stuff. You do what you want to, but if I'm you, I'd get away from them as fast as I could. Talking about true freedom from internal bondage, John 8, 31 and 32. Hopefully you'll know it by now. If you what? If you what? Abide in my word, Jesus said. Then, there's an if-then clause. If you abide in my word, then you will truly be my disciplined ones, my disciples. That's what a disciple is, a disciplined one, someone who comes under the authority of his or her Lord, teacher. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciplined one. And you will know the truth. And the truth you know, by abiding in my word, will set you free. So, any way that we're in bondage in our thoughts, in our emotions, through our will, through our behavior, in any way that there's any vestige of bondage, it's because to that extent we're not abiding in the truth of God. 
his word. Now, why would that be? His word is not print on a page. Jesus said, John 6, 63, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. What does the scripture say about God? God is spirit and those who worship him must what? So my word has the same DNA as my essence. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. God's Word cannot be separated from the very character and essence of God's very life. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It's It's not just when you get the information, it's when by the Spirit you get the revelation that you have the life of God on the inside of you. I heard the information for years, but one day the Spirit of God gave me revelation that Jesus Christ had paid for my sin and invited me to step in to His grace and mercy and for me to absolutely know Him in my inner man. Information to revelation. I pray this all the time for me and for you. God, take us beyond the information so that we can have that living, abiding, revelation, connection with the life of God. I highly recommend that you pray that for yourself. So we talked about that. We talked about some of the the, uh, roots of brokenness. Understand this. There's a whole lot of fruits of brokenness, but there are not many roots. There are not many roots. I want us to understand, as we look at at Genesis 3, let's just look at it. Let me read through it, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. God had created Adam and Eve in his own likeness. Look back at chapter 1 in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, the birds, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Some translations read that creeps upon the earth. So see, you got dominion over creeps. God blessed them. See, that was free. God blessed them. He supernaturally empowered them to be blessed and to have dominion. All right, that was part of the blessing of God. Now back to chapter 3. The serpent was more cunning Then any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat out of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Remember, by way of review from last week, God is what? What's the personification of God's character? God is what? God is 
agape. God is unconditional, unrelenting love. But without choice, there can be no love. God created you and I to live in relationship with Him. But without choice, there can't be a sharing of God's life. There is the opportunity to walk, understand this, that as long as you walk in submission, you will walk in dominion. That's what God said. Out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat lest you die. I don't want you to die. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. By the way, is the enemy, the devil, the New Testament calls that old serpent the devil, is he a liar? John 8, 44, the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. He is a liar. That's his character. He's not going to change. He's a liar. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be just like God, knowing good and evil. Look, you know what the enemy was saying? You don't have to recognize him as sovereign. You can be on his level. Make your own choices. Decide your own fate. You don't have to submit to this God who you have living, breathing relationship with. You've got every good thing. You've even got dominion over everything. You don't have to submit to him. Just be up there on his level. Do whatever you want to. There are no boundaries. You won't die. Is that still going on today? Sexual boundaries? Nah. That's outdated. People don't live that way anymore. Sure, it's a covenant, but nobody's going by it. Your children, sure they belong to Him. But you got to make sure they do the right thing, make the right decisions, and turn out all right. You got to make sure, remember, you're in charge of that. You ever hear that kind of information from the devil? God's sovereign, but you got to make sure that they turn out all right. So there's, a, there's something a little different there, isn't there? Tithe? Oh, sure, it all belongs to God, but a tenth portion is holy? Are you kidding? You can't make it if you do that. You see, the challenge to sovereignty is always with us. The challenge to ownership, the challenge to sovereignty and lordship is always before us, and there's always these lies. And the lies are always to our benefit, it feels like. It seems that way. But notice the next verse, verse 5, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband, who was what? With her. He wasn't off somewhere. She didn't have to go get him. He was with her, and he ate. So see, 
It appeals to the senses. It appeals, the lies always appeal to what we want to do. It always appeals to what we think would be best for us or feel the best. The lies always are for our convenience, our comfort. It's always a challenge to sovereignty. Then the eyes of both of them, verse 7, were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, why would he do that? Who's the pursuer here? Well, notice what Adam was doing. Adam and his wife hid themselves. They were, they were in flight. They were running. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called Adam and said, Where are you? You've been running from the Lord? God's not mad. He's not up there saying, Well, shame on you. I'm not going He's saying, Where are you? We've walked together before. Where are you? Where have you been? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was, what? Afraid. So pretty quickly after I believed the lie, I become fearful. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Okay, now I've got fear and shame. When I believe the lie, I've got fear, I've got shame. When I act in pride, which is believing the lie, then right after that, when I declare that I'm in charge, fear and shame pursue me. In verse 11, and he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? God knew that by way of information. He was wanting Adam to take ownership. Can I tell you all something? Listen. I love and celebrate people who take ownership of their stuff. Who scares me as a pastor are those who float around out there acting like goody two-shoes, like they're so self-righteous they don't have ever anything wrong with them. Those people scare the daylights out of me because I know it's not real. It's not real. Can I tell you something? God will fly to you if you'll just take ownership of where you are. He'll have mercy and show you grace. Amen? Verse 12, then the man said, uh, it's her fault. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate We'll get to that in a minute. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? All right, now, understand that this is the progression. Believing the lie that I can be sovereign, I can run my, look, I can do what I want to with my emotions, my will, my decisions, my body, my appetites, the money. I can, I'm independent. I can do whatever I want to. I don't need you. 
But when we begin to believe the lie to any extent, then we have the next step, which is a loss of intimacy. I believe the lie, I start acting sovereign, I lose my intimate fellowship with the Lord. And this is not on your outline, you ought to write it down. When I begin to lose intimacy with the Lord, I lose dominion. I start getting the boot on my neck. The enemy, my circumstances, my own flesh, other people. When I start believing that I'm in charge, I'm in control, I don't have to submit, I can still have God's best and be in charge myself. I can run my life, I can run my children, I can know what's best and do it. When I start believing the lie, then I begin to lose intimacy with the Lord. And when I lose intimacy with the Lord, I lose dominion. Dominion over my business. Dominion over my health. Dominion over all of that that is in my realm that God has assigned me. Intimacy with the Lord is the key to internal freedom. Every, look, if you look at all of, if you look at any stage of brokenness, if you look at full-blown addiction, okay, it didn't start out by somebody doing cocaine one night. No, no, no. Full-blown adultery didn't start out by somebody on a date saying, hey, let's just do what comes next. No, no. All of that starts by loss of intimacy with the Lord. All of our brokenness is in some stage of losing intimacy with the Lord. Because if I'm walking in intimacy with the Lord, then these chains get broken. So if you find yourself in different stages of brokenness, Don't look at the fruit, look at the root. And the root is a loss of intimacy with the Lord. How do I address that? I get back in a place of worship. I get back into a place of humbling myself. I get back into that place of prayer. I get back into that place of investment into that intimacy through prayer and worship, through the choices of the entrance of the Word of God. I I, I begin to put around me a protective core, a little core of people who I know and trust will pray for me and not tell anybody my stuff. A reinforced group. So I've got prayer and I've got worship and I've got renewed communications and I've got a core who are praying for me. Now, I am a lot less likely to get out here with all these fruits being manifested because little by little, their power can be broken off of me and because I deal with the roots. There are not many roots. And the resources that are in the Spirit of God and the Word of God are a lot more powerful than the roots of sin. God's grace is greater than any sin that has ever been out there. Amen. We have dealt with pride. We've dealt with fear. I want you to skip down on your outline to anger and blame. And don't get worried. There's no way we're going to cover all this outline 
for those of you who are, you know, hadn't been here with us before, just don't worry about all that. I want you to have this information in these scriptures. Last time we said that one of the roots that's really born out of pride is anger and even blame. We saw that in Adam. Sometimes that anger is rooted in pride because people and circumstances don't line up with the way I wanted them to. And sometimes it's rooted in rejection. Do you know that one of the greatest, one of the greatest, most powerfully destructive forces of anger there is, is somebody who's been controlled and manipulated by somebody else for so long that they don't know any other way to express it except through explosive anger. Here's a question I asked us last week. Could it be that I or you have wanted somebody so intensely for so long to be a certain way that we have failed to embrace them and actually celebrate them for the way they are and for who they are? It's amazing how love will diffuse anger. Love over time. When there's this control and manipulation, it always breeds rebellion. Now don't sit there so smugly looking at me like that. You know good and well that when you had all this control and manipulation on you as you grew up and you never could live up to all the expectations that one of your favorite things to do when you got a little freedom was to rebel. Isn't that right? Everybody but the super religious can identify with that. So God, to have mercy on us that we don't love people where they are, as they are, and even celebrate who they are. Not their sin, not their behavior, but their identity. And sometimes anger is toward God. Let's look back at our passage here now. And God was questioning Adam about his choices. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave me. Understand that when circumstances don't line up the way we want them to, and sometimes rather than taking responsibility for our own stuff, one of the ways we handle anger with God, after we've gotten finished blaming our circumstances, after we've gotten finished blaming the school, the boss, the friend, the child, the parent, the spouse, the former spouse, the pastor, all of that, after we've gotten finished, Blaming all of those. It's them. They messed me up. We begin to do what Adam did, and it doesn't take long. We really, in whether we verbalize it or not, we blame God. You say, I don't know about that, Pastor. Listen to some of this. 
God, why me? Why me? Why do I have to have cancer? Why do I have MS? Why do I have heart disease or diabetes? Why did I have to lose my job? Why did I have to lose all my money? Why did I get abandoned as a child? Why did I go through divorce? Why did I get abused? Why was I molested? Why did you give me this spouse you knew was going to hurt me? Why did I have the parents I had that you knew were going to try to control and manipulate instead of love me? Why am I still single? Why did my only child die? Go to the right, if you will, to Judges chapter 6. And I hope today maybe we can see maybe we've been asking the wrong questions. Maybe none of those I just listed are the right questions. Let's take a look here. Chapter 6 of Judges, verse 11, The angel of the Lord, God's representative, sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon, remember that name, threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now understand, go back to verse 6, Israel was greatly impoverished because of who? The Midianites. All right, back to our verse here. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him out of the blue on a day when Gideon was going about his work in fear, trying to hide his food supply from the Midianites who had taken over God's people. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You great and mighty warrior. Now hold on just a minute. What did the preceding verse say he was doing? Hiding. Doing whatever he could as quietly as he could to just make sure he kept his stuff so he could survive. None of us were, would ever be afraid of survival. We always trust God, right? Get out of the wine press trying to thresh your wheat. And the angel of the Lord said to him, The Lord is with you, you great and mighty man of valor. Do you ever notice that that's how the Lord approached him? And you know what? That's how he approaches you. He didn't say, You coward. 
you sorry excuse for an Israelite. He said, you mighty man of valor. You're a mighty man. The Lord is with you. What else do you need? In verse 13, are you there? And Gideon said, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why? Why then? He could hardly get it out. Why then has all this happened to us? Why your family? Why your daughters? Why your sons? Why your job? Why your customers? Why then has all this happened to us? Why are all these circumstances coming down on us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Yeah, 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 we've heard how God delivered us out of Egypt, how, they, how the pursuers were buried in the Red Sea. We've heard how all the wealth of Egypt was put on the, 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 our forefathers just to get us out. We've heard about all these miracles, but we're not seeing any. We're asking for all these miracles, and pardon the English, you ain't doing nothing. You ever feel that way? Where? Why and where? And then notice that he wasn't finished at the end of verse 13. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Why has all this happened? Why are we going through all this? You have forsaken. He accused God. You have forsaken us. Can I tell you something? It's okay to pray. My God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that? David prayed that in the scriptures and Jesus quoted it at the cross. God's not nervous by your little accusations. He doesn't shut down heaven when you're mad at him. He's big enough to handle all that. Yeah. Why? Where? You have forsaken us. Now I want you to notice here in verse 14, this is an incredibly powerful truth right here. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, here's why. Da-da-da-da-da-da, A, B, C, D, E. Besides that, I'll show up tomorrow morning with all the miracles laying out on the ground. You won't have another problem. All these Midianites will just be laying there dead. All you got to do is dig some graves and go on in. Is that what yours says? Yes or no? Gideon had the questions. Why? Where are your miracles? You have forsaken us. How did God answer? Listen, don't miss this. How did God answer all these questions? With an assignment.
Notice God didn't go into a long discourse about why and what. He just told him his next assignment. How about that? Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I want you to forget. I want you to quit trying to figure out and analyze yourself. And get involved in the next right thing that I've assigned you to do. I say you're a valiant warrior. You may think, oh, I've done this. I hadn't done that. I'm full of shame. Leave it alone. Listen to what I'm telling you about you and what I want to do through you. Some of you need to understand that today. That God is not interested at all in you going through all the guilt and the shame and the fear and the anger God has an assignment for you. I wrote it down for you in your outline. This was a great week because I revisit these things, as you might well imagine. Maybe we're answering the wrong questions. Maybe the question, and here's the question, I have been out by myself days and nights and weeks after Bryant passed. I have cried out to a heaven that seemed brazen and disinterested. I've screamed and hollered and yelled and prayed and begged. I've kicked holes in my sheetrock. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that's your pastor. I'm weak. And I have had to go days and weeks and months with no answers, and so has Dina. Eventually, the Lord began to say to me, maybe you should quit asking why. He came to be with me at 18 and a half. Maybe you should be asking, why, mighty Father of life, would you trust me with a gift like that? Why would you trust Dina and me with the ability and the grace to carry suffering like that for so long that will bring you mighty glory why would you trust Dina in me with the unbelievable honor to bring sons and daughters into the kingdom Steve you are asking the wrong question does God ever answer your questions with an assignment maybe you should say God why would you entrust me with a son or a daughter who rebels? Why would you trust me with a job that fails or a business that goes down? Why would you trust me to be a faithful carrier of the knowledge of Jesus, knowing that as you bring me out of this season, you're going to bring mighty glory to yourself and you're going to bring others to yourself through my story. You're going to bless and encourage your people. You are going to do a mighty thing 
through my story. Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Gideon didn't get there overnight, but in a short period of time, he lined up with the Lord. He became what God said he was, a mighty, mighty man of valor and rescued Israel back from the Midianites. It was a mighty, mighty story. Are you locked in anger or blame today? Maybe you're asking the wrong questions. Maybe you should get on your knees before God and thank God for that son or daughter who has rebelled and caused great pain to themselves and to you. Maybe you should thank God that he entrusted the parent that you had, that their loss has created such an absence that it just absolutely chokes you every single day. Maybe God should get glory for trusting you with that kind of pain. Maybe God, listen, there is useless pain that leads to rebellion and bitterness, and there is redemptive pain. That pain that is given over to God when you don't understand, but you're willing to take the next step anyway. That's the kind of pain that brings glory to God and mighty fruit and fulfillment to you. All of us need one another. We need a faith family. We need a core who love us just the way we are. A place of safety, a place of mighty love. Shame and blame. Now next week, I'm going to ask the Lord to help you and I'll understand. Do you know what? There might be some little cords of shame in you that you're not even aware of that's holding you back from intimacy with the Lord. Shame. Maybe it's because of something you've done in the past or didn't do. All of us walk around, I think, with some degree of shame, but the Lord wants to break the power of shame. Because you know what? Remember in our story of Adam and Eve? Who was pursuing? God or Adam? God. God was pursuing Adam when Adam was in shame. God is still pursuing intimacy with you even if you're in shame. You say, well, Pastor, if I look at all my circumstances and all the stuff that's going on me, see, that's the first mistake. If you think if you decide whether God is pursuing you based on your circumstances, you're never going to get there. You've got to look at something that's not going to change, and that's the Word of God. He is hopelessly in love with you. He is pursuing you by His love and grace. Ask God to give you the revelation of it. Amen? So we'll take up where we left off right here next week. Let's stand together. Now, you can get entertainment anywhere, 
But I'm telling you this. Are you listening? God has assigned me to minister the Word of God to you. Some of this is corrective in nature. But the Lord reminded me, the times in your life where you got, uh, you got farther down the road were times when you got great correction and when I overruled your agenda. There are those who will hear this word. If you have missed from July the 3rd on, please go back to the website that Wayne has done so beautifully for us and listen to those. It's on breaking free of internal bond. If you, look, if you respect me as your pastor, ask the Lord to help you while you're driving down the road or out for a walk, even if it's in short snippets. Please try to get hold of this because I believe God gave it to me. I want everybody to have vacations. I want everybody to travel. I want everybody to breathe and have a good time. But catch up on these messages, if you will. Father, bless your sheep. They're yours. Thank you for the holy honor of being a vessel through whom we feed and are led and protected. Give us revelation, Lord, in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Go with God. He's going with you. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.